We're nearing the end of a study of Jacob. So far, we've looked at different stories, different episodes in Jacob's life. Today is a little bit broader picture, kind of looking over uh, a path and a pattern that we see in Jacob. So of the messages that I plotted out, I thought this might be the most difficult one just because it covers the most ground. So uh, I pray that God would use my feeble words to help lead the way. We're going to be looking at a few verses to begin with. They'll be popping their way in through the talk. Uh, one's found in Genesis 31 and a few others in Genesis 35. You can follow on your phone, on a tablet, or just follow along as I read the words. And as we read, I invite you to join me to stand either inwardly in your heart or physically before God in reverence and respect of him and his word as we hear these words from the book that we love. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Verse 5. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is, Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. As it says, and they say in the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to this. The introduction has changed. So. This week, Renee and I, we uh, re-celebrated our very first date, almost 42 years to the day. We recreated it. We went to Handel's Messiah. That was our first date. First one was in Ann Arbor, this one was in Grand Rapids. We went to the Messiah. And would you believe it? I got shushed. I got shushed. There was a song in Messiah you've just got to sing, right? The Hallelujah Chorus. So I started to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And this lady in front of me turned around and she shushed me. Yes, I have been to concerts there before. I should have known better. You don't do that. You don't sing at those kind of concerts. Well, Renee had a few choice words for that stick in the mud. I mean, that lady who was in front of us. And uh, she, anyways, I, I should have known. Be quiet, but I couldn't. Jacob met God face to face two times. He saw God do reconciliation between himself and his brother Esau. And now he's been given a specific direction. He should have known better. Because when God 
gives us a direction to take, whether that be a moral choice, whether that be a command to obey, whether that be where we sense God leading us to go to school or to work or to live or a new venture that God has given to us in the kingdom of God when God's prompting us in that and giving us that direction. We know that God's going to accomplish his overall purpose. He's going to fulfill his purpose. And he also gives his blessing. When we make the adjustments in our life to decide to follow his direction and choose to obey him. This is part of Jacob's story. So I'm going to back up and we're going to take a look at Jacob's story and where we've been. Having deceived his brother and his father and Beersheba, he heads north. He's on the left arrow. He's heading north to the land of his mother, Haran, a 600-mile journey. He stops at that second dot, the one right above it, called Bethel. Bethel is where he had the dream of the staircase going to heaven and God speaking to him. After the dream, he continued on north to Haran. And there, after 20 years of working for his uncle Laban, he snuck out of town and headed south towards the direction of the promised land or Bethel, as God directed him, and that's the arrow on the right. So after 20 years, he's going to come down. You kind of see where uh, the Dead Sea is and that river going up, the Jordan River. Okay, the promised land is on the left. And as the story goes, he came down and settled for a bit on the right side of the river, the outside of the promised land. It was there that he wrestled with the God-man, face to face with God. His name was changed, it was Jacob, meaning the deceiver, to Israel, one who wrestles with God. And the course of his life changed in that face-to-face meeting, in that wrestling match. He left with a lifelong limp, which would remind him he could no longer be self-sufficient as he was trying to be, that others would look at him differently, weaker, which happens when people walk with a limp of various kinds, and would remind him that he would need to rely on God. So he's given the limp. He's going to cross over a river and meet his brother Esau in chapter 32, which we looked at last Sunday. He's been running from Esau for 20 years. And part of the story is that Jacob, the conniver, before the wrestling match, wants to make sure he has his escape route in place. But after the wrestling match, he changes it up. And he presents himself before Esau vulnerable, humble, because Jacob is a different man. They embrace and assure each other of their love and protection. So that's a bit of where we have been. Beersheba, Bethel, up to Haran, and now 
now he's coming back down. Chapter earlier in chapter 31, when he is up north in Haran with Uncle Laban, Jacob spent 20 years there, and God spoke to him and said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So he heads down, he's coming back, and he stops at the Red Dot, which is not Bethel. It's on the other side of the river. It's not in the Promised Land. We read verse 16, 17. So that day Esau started on his way back after they met. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. So Jacob sets up his home on the east side of the river. Where had God told him to go? To the west side of the river. But he didn't go there. And he stays there for three years. It's cold. He finally cross, crosses the river after three years. But he doesn't go to Bethel, which is the black dot. Rather, he goes around it to a city called Shechem which is in the area that we sometimes know as Samaria. We read verse 18. After Jacob came to Padam Aran, he arrived safely in the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called the place El Elohi Israel. So now he stays in Shechem for seven years. So ten years have passed since God came to him and said, I am the God of Bethel. I am the God who you wrestled with. I want you to return to the land. God's direction. And he hasn't made it there yet. Commentators say, the ancient history records Shechem as being lush and fertile a land of milk and honey, a regional promised land that uh, is green, while the area of Bethel is more barren. It's more of the wilderness. There would be a harsher type of life there in Bethel. It's more rugged. The wilderness is a place where you need rely on God more. But Jacob, he chooses the lush green area of Shechem. Sort of reminiscent of another family member in his life, a distant cousin by the name of Lot, but we don't have time to go there. So what's the big deal? God told him to go to Bethel, he's within a day's walk. He decides to stay in Shechem. There he sets up camp, sets up home for seven more years. What's the deal? Can't he put his family down where he wants to? Jacob has had several encounters with God. And clearly he understands that God has established and built a relationship with the family line. And through the family line of Abraham, 
the one true God makes covenant and he promises to bless the nations and the people of the world through this family line. And yet, Jacob is still not fully willing to do all that the Lord has told him to do. Sort of like dabbling his feet in the pool of God, but not willing to go all in. Sure, I'll go to the promised land, but I won't go to the area of Bethel where you're directing me to go. God does long for our unyielding devotion to him, our undivided loyalty. But so often the response that he gets back from us is, wait, wait, don't tell me what to do. I'll go halfway, I'll dabble in your, go- your goodness, but I won't fully yield to your will. As a result of this, Jacob and his family are going to be impacted by the culture of the land, and they're going to miss out for 10 years on the rich blessing God had in store for them at Bethel. They settle for just enough of God. And this is what happens. You might not agree with the direction that I'm going, but I believe that these following chapters have to do with the decision that they have made to simply dabble with God and not go fully in. Uh, Not all the commentators agree, but many do. There are two stories. One is about Sister Dinah. Shechem, like the other cities in Canaan, follow multiple false gods, and their religious rituals are often built around sexual pleasure. Jacob's one daughter, Dinah, was out in the land, unattended, unaccompanied by a brother, and was assaulted by a man. As the story unfolds, this man ends up loving uh, Dinah and convinces his father to make amends with Jacob for what happened and allow him to be married to Dinah, Jacob's daughter. So there's the story going on about the daughter of Jacob going to marry a Canaanite. And Jacob doesn't seek for justice. He's trying to not upset the status quo. Well, two of Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, hatch a plan. They insist that all of the men in the village be circumcised if this wedding is going to take place, which they agree to. So while they are recovering and incapacitated, these two brothers, Simeon and Levi, kill the men of the city and rob the city. And it seems like nothing happens to them until you get to the end of Jacob's life in chapter 49. Chapter 49 is when Jacob gives the blessing to his sons. But who doesn't get the blessing? Simeon and Levi. Judgment comes upon their family. So while God's judgment didn't come immediately upon them, it does come, and it did. So there's one story about what's going on in the family of Jacob. There's another story. Secondly, it's also recorded that while they're living in the city of Shechem, okay, living in that city, that idols crept into the family of Jacob. When Jacob, wife Rachel, and their family left Haran, 
Rachel took an idol with called a teraphim. A teraphim. A teraphim statue. Uh, I just Googled and said, what would a teraphim look like? It looks just like a statue, a, a false god. But a teraphim, the thing that made a difference is that a teraphim uh, guaranteed the right to an inheritance. Maybe sort of like a deed. A right to an inheritance. So Rachel, as commentators say, Rachel took this to secure the right of Jacob and their sons to the inheritance of Laban, because Laban had no sons. So to make sure that if things didn't work out in Canaan, she had the deed to go back and to claim Laban's land and property. You tracking? Now God had covenanted with this family. And one of the covenants was he was going to give them the promised land. Out of grace, they definitely didn't deserve it or earn it. But leaving Haran, following the instruction, coming towards the promised land, they come with a backup plan. And it appears that this teraphim statue, which was an idol, somehow they started to honor and worship, like the people in the land of Shechem would do. What began as an underhanded attempt to secure her husband's right to the land became something that impacted the entire family. False worship crept in. Now, there are some commentators who say you can't make this connection between Jacob's disobedience of not going to Bethel, but others do. Not being fully in, they left themselves completely vulnerable to the impact of the culture around them. Well, Jacob, by the grace of God, has a change of direction. Jacob eventually does two things. First, he gathers up all of the idols of the family and he buries them. Not to come back to them later, but to leave them behind. He purges his family from sin and the wrongs that have infiltrated them from their culture. And now, secondly, God's voice comes to Jacob again and instructs Jacob to go to Bethel. And these are the verses that we read earlier from chapter 35. And he goes to Bethel. Ten years later, after settling down in two different cities, finally arrives. And it says that the protection of God was with them when they decided to be all in with God. And now comes a blessing of God. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and the kings will be among your descendants. And the land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. God blesses them with many of the same parts of the covenant he made with Abraham. With the land. With abundance. 
and with the presence of himself close to the five-fold blessing that God gave to Abraham. God takes on a new title, God Almighty, which is the title El Shaddai. El Shaddai is translated here and in other places as Almighty. It's used about 20 times in the Old Testament, which is the meaning of power and strength. I am the God Almighty. I am the God of strength. Now, an interesting thing is that the name Shaddai also has hidden within it another Hebrew word, Shad, S-H-A-D, which is a Hebrew word that talks about a nursing mother's breast. It is a symbol of tenderness, of nutrition it's it's the care and provision that a baby needs and that that is hidden within this title of El Shaddai and so in El Shaddai we get two components of God we get the power of God and we get the tenderness of God so when God calls himself El Shaddai it kind of sounds like for us we we recite a creed from now and again, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the tenderness and the power which we find here as God reveals himself with a new title to Jacob, El Shaddai. The blessing comes. Well, what sort of direction is this? Oh, yeah, here they are. I forgot about that, the, the shad that's in there, the awesomeness and the tenderness together. For us, we are reminded as we look at a bigger picture of the travels of Jacob, that God is faithful. The story of Jacob is that Jacob is a minor character. God is a primary mover. God is the one who is orchestrating his will and his plan. God keeps his word, he keeps his promises, he keeps his covenant. Even in spite of the deceit, God will work his plan and will not stop. God is so great, he can even use this family, just like he can even use me and you to work out his plan. He's faithful. God's the primary character and in this story. To me, a second part of the story is that uh, sorrow comes when we don't follow his direction. That's part of looking at more the big picture of this life of Jacob. Jacob and his household would endure sorrow for their ways of deceit. Their tricks did not bring joy, it brought sadness and pain. Isn't that one of the truths that we find in God's word? is that we reap what we sow. If we abuse relationships, they will turn around and bring us pain. If we abuse our bodies, they will eventually turn on us. If we abuse money and power, that too will turn on us and enslave us. The Bible says that God will not be mocked. 
that he is patient, for which we are thankful. And he gives us reminders to turn back to him, which I think is the third part of the story, is that God always offers a way out. God always offers his grace to come back to. Jacob's life is full of pivotal moments for him to turn around, to grow in character. Doesn't always do that at the right time. But God's story is that at any time, we can turn around and come to him. That's what the word repentance means, right? Repentance literally means a 180-degree turn. I was moving in my own direction, and repentance means I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to move in God's direction. God always has a way out. And his way out is seen, and finally, the fulfillment of part of the promise that's given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is the coming of the Messiah King, whose name is Jesus. He sent Jesus into the world, born of a virgin, to show that he was born without sin, suffered his whole life, and even more intensely, the closer the cross came. And then Father God raised him from the dead on the third day. So anyone, anyone who confesses and turns from their way to go to God's way has the good news of new life. Jesus is always the way out. Jesus came to lead his people to the Heavenly Father. He came to be our Savior, the one who forgives us, the one who sets us in the right direction. Let's not try to use our wits to work our way instead of working God's way. Yeah, oftentimes when we go our way, yeah, we should have known better. Relationships that we have hurt and abused have come back around. We should have known better. Things that we have abused have come back to hurt us. Yeah, we should have known better. Jesus is the way out. Let's follow the direction that he gives to us. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, we bless you for your great love for us. We thank you that you don't treat us as we deserve. You are full of mercy, kindness, and tenderness. Thank you for giving to us Jesus, who cleanses our soul, who gives direction to our feet, gives purpose to our hands. Thank you for new life that we find in him. And we pray, Father God, that if there's something going on in our life that uh, we know needs to be changed and altered, we pray, Father God, that your spirit would so work in us to bring that to our attention to our mind, so, so that we might turn around from following that way to following you. And Father God, we uh, pray for our world. 
what seems to be a world at war, uh, wars that seem to gather so much attention to the news, but we know that there's other strife and other battles going in on that are affecting millions of others. We pray for your Prince of Peace to bring peace to our world, to bring protection to the innocent. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and so we pray, Lord, that you will fulfill your promise to pray in words and groans that we can't pray, but that go straight to you. We lift up our world to you. We lift up uh, our community to you. We pray for uh, Ridge Street Ministries, one of our missionary partners. We pray, Lord, that you will bless and guide and protect their leaders. We pray that you will continue to use them not only to impact this part of our city around Bridge Street, but that you will continue to use them to impact other communities and even other countries as you have. We pray for our neighbors. We pray that uh, they would see you as they pass by this church that there would be something in them that would prick them that would want to get connected to you and today and this week we pray especially for our neighbors on willard avenue that uh, you would give to them a double blessing and that you would work in a great way so that they know that blessing comes from you we lift up the needs of our faith community to you we pray for little calvin we give you thanks for a successful surgery from a week ago. We pray that you would bring restoration and healing to this little baby, that he would be able to return home soon, and you would grant strength to him and emotional and physical strength to his parents, to Shauna and to Kaylin too. We pray with the Garrens for their nephew who is going to be moving or maybe has moved and they have asked for prayers that you would guide him and guide him not only in his daily practice but that you would guide followers of Jesus into his path. And we pray, Lord, that you would help him to navigate life well. We continue to pray for Pastor Mary, that you would bring healing and health to her, that you will continue to help her to feel stronger each and every day, and for Gail as well, that she would continue to recover from the surgery that she had uh, on her forehead, that she would gain the strength that she needs. We pray for Pam and Joe and David, that you would provide for their needs. We thank you for them. And we pray, Lord, that in days when they need extra measures of grace, that you would give that to them. We pray, Father God, with Sue and praying for members of her family, for granddaughter Danielle, that you would provide a house for her family, strength for her, for her grandson as he recovers from surgery, and for others in their family who are just in need of care, in need of your hand to impact them. 
we join with Rebecca in praying for her father, that you would bring healing to him, recovery as he finds some restoration from breaking his hip from a fall, and that you would be with uh, a co-worker of hers, Susan, as she hears word tomorrow about uh, the results of the bone marrow uh, exploration. We pray that she would uh, receive good news that cancer would be gone and, and no longer there. We pray, Lord, that you would bring the healing for her. Father God, we pray that you bring health for our families, uh, physical health, emotional health, relational health. We pray that in this upcoming holiday, uh, whatever it is that might be a uh, barrier within our families, we pray, Lord, for uh, the power of your spirit to bring those barriers down and that we would find refreshment in relationships and even reconciliation. We give you thanks for the work that you are doing in our midst. We give you thanks for uh, the work that you are doing in uh, Jonathan Jansma and his desire to make a public profession of faith. We pray that you will continue to work in him and through him. And we look forward to hearing and being a part of his profession later on in the month of December. And Father, we lift up the needs that we have within our own heart. Uh, needs that uh, for some of us keep us awake at night. We lift them to you. We come to your cross and we lay them down and we surrender them to you. Thank you that you have given to us the surety that you hear our prayer the power of Jesus' cross that you have the power to answer prayer and the tenderness of a father that your spirit puts within us to know of your kindness and your gentleness as you care for us. Hear our prayers, we pray. In the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, Amen.